Hello and welcome to this latest podcast from the Herbert Smith Freehills Pensions team. Thank you for joining us. Um, I'm delighted uh, to be joined today by John Forsyth, who's a partner and actuary at LCP. And he's here today to discuss with me the uh, contents of the draft Occupational Pension Schemes Funding and Investment Strategy Regulations 2023. Um, Government has recently published the draft regulations for consultation. And it's been causing a bit of a stir within the industry. So it's great to have John here with us today to discuss uh, the potential implications of the draft regulation. So, John, thanks for joining me. Thanks very much for having me, Tim. I'm delighted to be here. Great. So, John, for those um, perhaps people who aren't as familiar uh, with the regulations as, uh, as perhaps you and I are, could you just briefly outline kind of what the key elements of the the proposals are? Yeah, very happy to. Um, so I suppose at the at the heart of the proposals, um, and, and one thing that's been, as you say, getting a lot of, of airtime in the industry, is a requirement that all pension schemes, all DB occupational schemes, by the time that they are what's called significantly mature, um, need to have reached a, a low risk state and low dependency on their, their sponsor. And that's um, defined in the regulations, and it covers both the investment strategy side, but also the way that they fund um, as well, and as I say, that is kind of a requirement for all schemes to do. So, uh, I think you know, industry had previously been told via TPR, there's this kind of twin track, fast track, and bespoke regime. Possibly there'll be more flexibility for certain schemes who want to take a more bespoke approach. Um, the draft regulations very much don't don't seem to have that flexibility. So once you get to that point of significant maturity, you you basically are required to have a low risk investment and funding approach. Um, which, which, as we'll probably come on to, we think uh, has some potential unintended negative consequences for the schemes. Um, there's also a number of other things, obviously, as you can imagine, in the draft regulations. Um, there's pieces around um, recovery plans and kind of codifying in law that they should be um, set with an eye on what is reasonably affordable for the employer. Um, there's kind of a, a nod to open schemes in the sense of, um, again, we'll, we'll come on to that they, they are considered, we think maybe doesn't quite go far enough, but they are at least mentioned in the consultation document. And then there's another, a number of kind of smaller pieces um, and, and lots of extra documentation for schemes to do statements of strategy and a number of things that need to appear in there. Um, but I think that's, that's probably the kind of the, the key highlights, if you like. Yeah, great. So, I mean, some significant changes there, and certainly the most material changes to the funding regime since since it was introduced uh, back in in 2005. So, w- what do you foresee as the, the kind of impact on DB schemes and and scheme sponsors? What what implications is this likely to have? Yeah, no. So, so I mean, that is of course the the key question, and this is this was the subject. I'll just do a shameless plug for a paper we we recently wrote called "Missing the Target," which covered a lot of this, but. I think at the heart of it, this kind of requirement for all schemes to be low risk um, by the time they're significantly mature um, is going to have a huge impact. And it'll be different for different schemes. But there's a lot of schemes who aren't planning that that kind of very low risk approach, um, either because they want to run on because they feel their sponsor covenant allows them more flexibility. Um, And we do think that, you know, in many cases, that requirement for a low risk approach could risk, say, for example, some schemes. It's just an inefficient use of capital. Other schemes requiring them to fund in that way is is kind of extra cost. And for some schemes, that'll be unaffordable. And there is a risk that it could force um, some schemes to be 
you know, unaffordable for their employer and potentially risk kind of insolvency and, and job losses and, and everything else. So could potentially have some quite serious negative impacts, um, accepting, of course, that it, it does to some extent depend on how TPR might interpret all this. And we can come on to, to kind of that piece as well. But I think, yeah, that, that kind of low risk piece is probably the biggest one. There's, I mentioned as well, of course, the um, the recovery plan point. Again, um, affordability has been in TPR's thinking for a long time in how it thinks about recovery plans. That hasn't been kind of in law. I suppose putting it into law, we do think is going to move the dial. We do think it will in- influence industry behaviour. We think it will mean, you know, sponsors probably required to put in more sooner. And that will have obviously impacts for sponsors as well. Um, and then I mentioned just briefly open schemes as well. So we don't need to get too technical. The way the regulations are drafted, or at least our reading of them, um, for open schemes, if you like, they're never expected to reach significant maturity. So because they remain open, new members keep coming in. They don't mature in the same way as a closed scheme. Um, these these open schemes, if you like, every three years, we'll be able to say, look, we're still open. We can push out our kind of expected date of when we get significantly mature. So we're not there yet. We can keep investing in growth assets and that's all good. But I think the problem from our perspective, as we see it, is that they'll still be required to fund as if they will one day be, be you know, significantly mature, as, as effectively funding as if almost as if they're, they're closing at some point. And that will drive up costs for some. And so we could see kind of further closures of open schemes as well as a potential negative consequence from what's in the regs. Okay. So, so it sounds like we're moving certainly over the longer term to a kind of very much a one size fits all approach to, to kind of DB funding and, and investment. Do you think that, do you think that's appropriate? And, and do you think that could have any unintended consequences? Yeah, no. So, so I think, I mean, the short answer is I don't, I don't think it is what's best for a lot of schemes. And I think, I think many would agree. Um, this, the, we currently have a scheme specific regime. It's flexibility in there for, for schemes, obviously in different circumstances, it's appropriate to do different things. And so I don't think one size fits all, um, is right. I think DWP would argue that what they've drafted, um, in fact, I think I've heard them say it isn't one size fits all, but that's not, you know, how the industry is interpreting it. And that's not our kind of reading of it. It does very much seem, at least from that point of significant maturity, it is, as you say, all schemes um, need to be to be low risk. And there's some quite strong wording in there about investment strategies needing to be broadly cash flow matched and highly resilient to short term movements in markets, um, which does very much restrict what, what schemes can do. And I think, I mean, I've touched a little bit on some of the kind of potential negative consequences but it really does depend on the scheme circumstances and there'll be some where you know the covenant is isn't necessarily strong enough to support a low risk approach i mean ultimately if you're you know paying pensions you have to get the money either from sponsor contributions or from investment returns um and if you you know if, if the sponsor is not strong enough to give you contributions there are some schemes out there who are perhaps taking slightly more more risk or targeting a higher return than DBP might like, but that's because they that's all, almost the only thing that they can do. And forcing them to take a different approach could could tip the balance and potentially make those sponsors go insolvent. Yeah, I mean, obviously, th- this new kind of funding regime has been trailed for some time. Yeah, um, and, and I know work's been going on behind the scenes probably for many years. In terms of where we are now, in terms of the economic cycle, but also um, even government policy and the emphasis on on growth, do, do you think? There's a chance this could be revisited uh, in light of kind of where we are both politically and, and economically. 
Yeah, it's a good question. And I think it's, it's something that, again, it's, it's already come up in the industry. I mean, already many have published their responses and some have very much highlighted that this, this really doesn't seem in line with the government's growth agenda. And of course, as you'll know, the new kind of Minister for Pensions is actually Minister for Pensions and Growth. Um, how does that interact? Um, so it's certainly possible it could get looked at again. I think, as, as you've said, you know, the world has changed quite a lot in the last few few weeks and it does seem this government's got a, a very much a growth agenda growth mindset and to be honest um as you say it almost seems like the funding code is from a, a different time when they were worried about different things you know Carillion bhs was obviously the driver for a lot of this um doesn't necessarily seem like what's prescribed in these draft regulations you know is consistent with the current government's agenda mm-hmm. and and just finally are there any other points with the draft regulations that you hope will be addressed before they're they're kind of finalized um i suppose i mean from my perspective the 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 two things that we haven't necessarily spoken about so far but are points of potential frustration one is you know dwp itself didn't really publish a meaningful impact assessment of these draft regulations themselves and their argument being that until we see sight of tpr's actual funding code um, which which has a bit more detail. You can't really assess the impacts, but we don't think that's necessarily the case. We think there will be a, a strong impact from the way these regulations are drafted. And as I mentioned in our paper earlier, we did have a go and came up with a potential impact of, of about 30 billion split, some between sponsors, some between kind of member losses and, and potential impacts on the PPF as well. Um, and then just the second point of, of frustration, as I mentioned, I've already alluded to, is that we, at the moment, we've only seen the regulations, not the code. And they very much are kind of two pieces of the same jigsaw puzzle and being asked to comment on one and for that one potentially to be finalized before we even get sight of the other piece doesn't really feel quite right. Um, and so I guess it's kind of a, a plea for DWP to, to keep listening even after their consultations close to anything that comes up from, from the TPR consultation as well. Um, but yeah, I think, I think probably otherwise covered the kind of main points. Yeah, no, that's, that's really good. And, and certainly that last point I would echo. And in our response, we, we've emphasised, like you say, the need for DWP to keep listening um, even after the consultation closes, given given that we, we won't see the full picture until we've got that that code as well. Great. Well, John, as I say thank you for joining me. Uh, really helpful to get your thoughts and insights on the draft regulations and what, what they could mean. Let's hope some of these issues get addressed uh, before before they're introduced. Um, and just to say thank you to everyone who's listening. This is latest podcast. Please sign up to our blog to re- receive future episodes. Thanks very much for having me.